You are listening to UnChristian, a three-week teaching series from Jubilee Church. This series looks at some of what non-Christians think of Christians and the intensity with which they hold these views in the hopes of equipping Christians to be better able to express the love of Christ to our generation. If you would like more information about Jubilee Church, please visit our website at jubileestl.org. We've been going through a series these last uh, few weeks, uh, just a real short series, uh, topical series, called Unchristian. It's, it's because there's actually a book that's been uh, written by that title by some guys who are researchers uh, the, with the Barna Group, which Barna, they do a lot of different research. But one of the guys uh, in particular decided to take some time uh, to really just question people uh, who were not part of the church. They're not, they wouldn't say that they're Christians at all and ask them questions uh, basically, the questions went something like this. Do you know a Christ- Christian? Yes, I do. Okay, how would you, you know, what would you say about them? And so there were things like uh, not really great things, right, like hypocrisy. So a couple of weeks ago we looked at that, or anti-homosexual, or overly political. I mean, there's all kinds of, there's like eight different things um, where, where uh, people who, who know Christians uh, would kind of label them as, as things that were not real positive. And, and this week it's uh, the, the third one of the big three, uh, which the first one was hypocrisy. Last week we talked about anti-homosexual. Uh, this week it's judgmental. Christians are known as being judgmental. Now, you and I, we may not, I mean, I'm looking around the room and I'm thinking, oh, these guys are pretty nice, uh, you know, except for, you know, a few criticisms, nothing big going on, not too judgmental around here. Um, but uh, except for my cooking skills, I was a little, uh, felt a little judged there, Matt. But um, qu- quick story about that. I was supposed to help uh, fix a meal uh, a couple months back, and that was really busy. She was working a job, and I cooked a meal. Uh, it, was, it was supposed to be sloppy Joe's. It was a sloppy mess is what it was. I, put, uh, in, I misread the instructions. Instead of two uh, tablespoons of brown sugar, I put two cups. Yeah. Yeah, it, it tasted a little bit like, I don't know what it tasted like. It was not good. Anyway, so I, I, I'll accept that criticism. Um, <laughs> anyway, nine out of ten people surveyed, nine out of ten people surveyed, describe your Christian friends, judgmental. That's painful, isn't it? And we can feel like, I mean, in going through the series, I have felt this like temptation to just want to you know, argue my case, to stand up, wait, 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 no, no, that's not us, that's not us, that's not us. And the more I began to, to read into the scriptures, the more I began to look at this, I started realizing, really, I'm a pretty judgmental person. I'm pretty critical of people most of the time. And um, we, we, you know, we just don't like that. I mean, I don't like that about myself. I don't like being told by someone else, hey, you're, you're pretty judgmental. I mean, none of us like that. I mean, the thing about judgmentalism, it's one of those sticky kind of monikers. You know, once it gets on you, it's like it's hard to get rid of. And, and the trouble with the word is, you know, it's, it's like once someone calls you judgmental, what have they just been? Well, they've been judgmental. They've judged you in some way. And so it's like you can't hardly get away from this thing. It's like tar. You know, you touch it and it just gets on you. And then you try to touch something else and it gets on something else. And so that's the way this thing is. And so we can all identify with that. And maybe today, uh, maybe you're here and you think, well, I'm not judgmental. Great. Uh, you probably need to hear this anyway. Uh, but if, if you're not part of Jubilee Church, you really you don't have to listen to this. This is more for us. It's me kind of shepherding or pastoring us along through this thing together, trying to be a people who, who are not judgmental, who, uh, who are not that way. 
And, uh, but, but if you're part of Jubilee, if you call this your home, uh, there's some things that you need to listen to here. There's this guy who was interviewed. His name is Jeff. He's, he's from Oklahoma City. And here's what he said about Christians. He goes, Christians talk about hating sin and loving sinners, but the way they go about things, they might as well call it what it is. They hate sin and the sinner. I mean, that's pretty big. That's a pretty big deal. Um, you know, it's, it's, my perspective here is that I, I, I'm, I'm not judgmental. Don't, don't call me, though. Don't put me on that. But, but it's, it's sometimes true. Here's what Kinnaman, here's how he describes judgmentalism. If you're sitting there going, well, I don't think it really fits me very well. It says, to point out something that's wrong with someone else's life. Making the person feel put down, excluded, marginalized. What fuels this is self-righteousness misguided by a desire to make our own lives look better by criticizing or comparing to someone else's life. If you've done that, if you felt that, I've felt that. I'm not doing too badly here, you know. Look at my neighbor. He's such a whatever, you know. And it's just like we, we kind of get that. We understand we have this within us, this critical, this judgmental thing that can be going on in our lives. So how, mainly what I want to do is, is kind of how, how do we deal with this? How do we deal with this so that we're not being judgmental ourselves. And, and I mean, there is a sense of where there's an image problem here, and we can't fix, like, the image of all Christianity around the world. We, I get that. I understand that. You, you understand that. And, and I'm not really all that concerned about our image, but here's, here's what I know to be true. When our behaviors change, when things do change about us, the attitude that we approach life, when that does change in time, it does change the way people think about us. It's true. Anytime you've had life change that happens with you, people begin to notice. And they may have thought one way about you at one point, but as they get to know you, they realize that's not necessarily true. And so I think there's some things we need to do ourselves as, as people here in Washington and Franklin County and the surrounding area to really uh, to, to put this to rest in ourselves and in the people around us. So the first thing is here to have humble recognition of our own sin and its effects I think when we humbly recognize our own sin and its effects, it helps us to be compassionate with other people. And I think that's what, if you're to contrast, the way Jesus was known among people and the way His church is known among people, that's where there's a big chasm. Jesus was literally, He would say at times, driven with compassion. That's the way the Bible talks about it. The church seems to be driven by another kind of thing. It seems to be driven more by judging, by comparing, looking at how others are. I mean, it's part of our human condition. I mean, that's the, the reality of it. This way, one of the ways that we find value for ourselves, we put other people down to make ourselves look better. Uh, and it's, it's not just in the church. It's actually, you know, it's, it's part of the world system. I was, I was listening to a radio program uh, a few weeks back, or no, just this last week. It was like Tuesday this week. And these guys, they were doing this radio talk thing, and they're back and forth. And they kept using this phrase, don't be that guy. You ever heard that? Don't be that guy. Don't be that guy who... And they did things that I thought... But they were like, emotionally, you could tell, they're pretty upset about this stuff. Don't be the guy who, you know, pops his collar. You know, don't be the guy, if you're driving your Jeep with the doors off, that you keep your left foot out. And I'm like, what? Seriously, these are the kind of things that you're concerned about, you know, is the way that people dress and the, sticking your foot out the door on your Jeep. I mean, don't be the guy who parks, you know, takes up two parking spaces at the, you know, parking lot or whatever. I mean, 
And, but they were serious. I mean, this is like that for them, that was the level of criticism, that was the level of judgment that was in their lives. It was like, don't be that guy. Don't be that guy. And I just laughed. And I thought, well, this is pretty appropriate uh, for this week. It helps me to understand, yeah, this isn't just a church problem. It's, it's actually, it's a human problem. The question for us is, why is the church judgmental? This is a human issue, but why is it that the church is known as judge, being judgmental? And I think uh, we can be surprised uh, about some of the reasons why. Um, it, it really shouldn't pr- surprise the people in the world. People that The book uses the word outsiders. Uh, I think the Bible uses that term as well. We looked at Colossians 4 recently, those outsiders. Not, not being crit- just saying that they're, they're not within. They, they wouldn't uh, have faith in Jesus. They wouldn't be following him. Uh, and so we're, we're not surprised at that. I think what we should be surprised is that the church seems to be very judgmental as well. Okay? Uh, we'd look at things that we would never do, and we see other people doing it, and, and we'll say things, maybe in our hearts or minds, we'll say things like this, hey, I'm not perfect, but at least I don't. Right? Have you ever had that thought go through your head? Okay, it's just me. Sorry. Um, I'm not perfect, but at least I don't. And I look at someone with something that different from me, then I, I criticize them. So we judge people out of fear. We fear what we don't understand. You know, so someone's got a haircut that we just don't like, you know, and, and we judge them as being maybe rebellious. Or they've got tattoos, and we think, well, they've got, you know, daddy issues or whatever. Um, you know, the, anything that seems, you know, they, they, they work at a place that we think, well, they, you shouldn't work there, you know. I mean, we, we just can judge people all the time based on those kinds of things. And we begin to, you know, Really, what we've done is, Brian said this a few weeks back, we're defining Christianity as a set of behaviors. And when we do that, we're setting ourselves up not just to be hypocritical, hypocritical but actually judgmental as well. Uh, so, you know, we're pretty gracious with our own sin, but then we're pretty critical of other people's sins. Um, a few years back, uh, I was part of a group. We did an Alpha course. You guys know what Alpha course is. Alpha is like a 10-week course basically taking people through, teaching them about who Jesus is, hoping they'll become Jesus' followers. And it's a, it's a pretty cool thing. Well, we did this course, and I had two friends with me. Now, one's Randy and, and one's Brian. Uh, not Brian uh, Mowry, but another Brian. And, um, and now Brian uh, had grown up in the church, a uh, pretty clean-cut guy, but he had long hair, and he had dual piercings in his ears, and he had a couple of tattoos, and he always wears shorts, and he always wore flip-flops. I mean, that is just like standard dress for Brian. And so we go into this, and then we got Randy. Now, Randy was real clean cut. Uh, he had very you know, short hair, and he dressed really nice jeans and closed-toed shoes and all, all that kind of stuff. Now, Randy actually was uh, an ex-con. Uh, he had been in prison for drug running and gun running, both. Uh, had spent... T- nearly 30 years of his life in the penal system. So here's these two guys, clean-cut Randy, kind of trashed-out looking Brian. We go into this meeting together, and people are looking at Brian like, who'd you come with, you know? And he's like, oh, I came with Steve, you know? <laughs> and uh, I'm a part of the church, I'm doing it. And then people were just like, shocked. And then Randy, it's, you know, like they get to know him. They don't, like they don't even question him. And I'm, I'm knowing their histories and going, this is really cool. Now, the thing is, these were mostly people who would identify themselves as Christians, but they were very critical of Brian, had no question about Randy. And I thought, if you guys only knew. (laughs) It's amazing. We do that all the time. We criticize people. We have to humbly acknowledge our own sin and learn compassion toward others. Let's look at uh, John 8. We just, uh, Karen read that. 
beautifully, did a great job with that. In this passage, we see Jesus, he's sitting, he's teaching some religious, and some religious guys come along and they drag this woman. It's early in the morning. They've pulled her literally out of bed, uh, perhaps naked, at least poorly clothed, you know, probably had her nightgown on. She's being dragged through the streets by these men, very brusquely, and placed in front of this teacher, in front of a large crowd of people. Can you imagine that? That happening? She's having, she was caught having sex with somebody who was not her husband. Or she's married and she had sex with somebody. Whatever it was, she was an adulteress. That's what they said about there. That was the charge that was laid out there. And they brought her, and it's like, this is, this is not a good day, right? I mean, Jesus has a, a very sticky mess that he has to untangle because these guys, they come to him and they say, hey, look, Jesus, the law of Moses says we need to stone people like this. What do you say? That's a pretty sticky situation. What are you going to do here, Jesus, Messiah? You know, are you going to uphold the law or are you going to forsake the law? So it's sticky for Jesus, but think about the woman, the position she's in. I mean, She's there. She doesn't want to be there. She's been completely dragged there. She's been completely uh, thrown off, put out. No one's talking to her. They're only talking about her in her presence. Have you ever experienced that? You're in a, you, know, you hear people talking, and you're standing right there, and they're talking like you don't exist. That's what's happening here. The only reason she exists for these guys is so they have fodder to challenge Jesus with. That's it. That's the only reason she's there. It's a pretty sick situation. And, and maybe today you're here and you feel like that woman. You feel like, man, I, I wouldn't be at church today, but I was kind of pulled out and dragged. And, and maybe you're expecting today when you're here, I'm going to be judged. People are going to think really badly of me today. I've done some bad things. I mean, I, that woman had to be thinking these kinds of things. She's hearing the charges against her. Maybe you're here today and it's that, that's the way with you. You're thinking, man, I, I'm that woman. Man, we, just, uh, we want to say at Jubilee Church, you are welcome to be here. We, we do not want to be like those guys throwing the book at you. right? We want to be like Jesus here, compassionate towards you. Um, and I think as a church, we often we try to identify like with the, the gal. you know. But I think sometimes we need to look carefully and realize we may look a bit more like the guys who are dragging her out of bed and dragging her before Jesus. We, we, we talk about people as if they're not really there. We, we deal with life as if basically these people around us who are doing such awful things, they're a problem. They're, they cease to be people. They, they become things. They become objects of our disdain rather than people of our compassion. The context of this is that they're badgering Jesus. It's not just that they're kind of saying, hey, Jesus, what do you think? It's like they ask him, and they keep asking him, and they're pestering him, and they're badgering him. And I think we can, we can kind of be there. I mean, we're, we, we kind of can do that. We, you know, we, we don't like people, so we complain. We complain and complain about their behaviors and the things that they do and the way their life looks. Maybe it's a neighbor. Maybe it's someone across the street. Maybe it's, you know, a coworker. We don't approach them with kindness. We approach them with criticism and judgmentalism. When we pray for them, it's basically, it's the kinds of prayers that are just like, get them, Jesus, you know, kind of expecting them, him to throw the rocks at them or something. But, but the reality is, these guys, they're not wrong. I, I think you need to realize that. The law actually does say people who are caught up in adulterous lifestyles should be stoned. I mean, they've got a good point. They're 
they're, they're actually right. This is what should happen to her. Now, there's somebody else that's not in the picture, right? There's the guy. It's like, where's the guy? You know, everybody wonders that. Well, yeah, he should have been stoned too. Okay, it's not just one or the other. It was both. But, but for some reason in that cult, maybe he was strong enough, he, you know, he ran or you know, he's fast enough, he got away from him. Maybe he's strong enough, he fought him off. I, who knows? Maybe he's actually there as part of the crowd who's condemning her. It's very possible. We don't know. But we know this. There's a woman. She's being criticized. And actually, their criticism, their criticism is correct. It's right. They should actually stone her as part of the law. And so the question really is, is Jesus going to... Because Jesus said, hey, I didn't come to condemn the law. I didn't come to take down the law. I actually came to fulfill it. And so it's like a question of, okay, are you going to do this? And if so, how? How do you go about doing that? It's a pretty big deal. It's a pretty big deal. We can have people in our lives who are actually in very sinful situations. And we look at it and we know the correct assessment of it is this is sin. There is no two ways, ifs, ands, or buts about it. It is. I mean, we look at the law, we look at the behavior, we go, that is definitely sin. It's a big deal. Maybe it's your boss who tells these off-colored jokes and is very crass. Maybe it's a friend who votes you know, the opposite ticket that you vote, that you think is the right way. Maybe it's um, a, a neighbor who lives with her boyfriend or a neighbor who lives with his girlfriend. You, you may feel like these religious leaders. You feel justified because there's, this is only, there's only one way to think about this issue. What you're doing is clearly, clearly wrong. But, the, but what Jesus does is he helps these guys to see something about themselves and about him. He begins to help them to see that they actually are sinners themselves. And, and what they're doing is they're looking at a piece of the law that they know for sure is being broken by this person. But what they fail to do is look and see their own lives and compare it with the law as well. And this is where we really get into trouble. We, we begin to look at other people's lives looking and saying, see, they're, they're living wrongly. But we actually fail to examine, humbly examine our own lives and say, well, but what about me? So Jesus bends down into the dirt. We don't know what he writes. Everybody speculates. What does he write? Does he write the law? Does he write this passage or that? No one knows. Okay? So don't get into too much speculation there. Whatever it was, though, was enough that they read it. And when he says, hey, look, um, you're right. You should stone this woman. But here's the condition. Oh, by the way, did, did you catch that? Jesus actually tells them, go ahead, stone the woman. He agrees with the law. He says, yeah, that's a just penalty. Now, Here's who starts. The person who hasn't sinned gets to start first. <laughs> oh. The person who hasn't sinned gets to pick up the first rock and chuck it. These guys are smarter than we are sometimes because they actually walk away. They realize, hey, we can't win this battle. We, we're not going to win this one. He's right. I've got sin issues in my own life. They walk away. We often keep pressing ahead, wanting to throw stones at people. And it's like Jesus is saying, no, 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 you need to look carefully. The things that you're saying against others, are you actually doing either the same things or something else that's breaking the law? James, Jesus' brother, says, look, you break the law. In one point, you've broken the whole law. So be careful about that kind of judgment against others. Um. Jesus approaches with compassion, not condemnation. He wants these guys to evaluate their own lives, not just evaluate her life against this one issue. 
These men, they did come to their senses. They did walk away. And notice what Jesus did. Jesus stayed and Jesus stood. I'm going to talk about that a bit more, but I just, I just want to point that out to you. When you're in the midst of your sin, maybe you're in the midst of the sin of being judgmental toward others. Here's what Jesus does for you. He stays and He stands with you. He doesn't come against you. He stands with you. He wants you to actually be able to assess life properly and assess your own sin properly. He stays and He stands. To be stood with means that we have someone actually with us. You know the old country song, Stand By Your Man, right? That kind of thing. It's a, it's a thing of fidelity and loyalty. Here's the thing about Jesus. He is faithful and He is loyal to His people to stand by them, to help them to see what's going wrong in their own lives, not just in the lives of others. He stayed. He didn't condemn the woman. He didn't pick up any stones. He stood by her in her sin. He didn't run away. He didn't walk away. And he was the only righteous guy in the crowd. He was the only one who hadn't sinned. He was the only one who was perfect in every single way. He had the actual right to pick up the stone and throw it at her, and he chose not to. Isn't that great? That's who Jesus is. He doesn't throw stones. He says, I don't come to condemn the world, but through me the world might be saved. That's how Jesus comes into the world. So we have to evaluate our own lives. We have to look at and see, okay, am I, am I just criticizing others, and basically, but I'm living an uncritical life toward myself? Now, let me just give a quick warning about that. I'm, a, I'm the kind of person who I can, be, I can get pretty inward, introspective pretty quickly, navel-gazing, you, know, you know, always wondering what's going on inside here. You, maybe some of you are like that. There's a story in the book um, about this gal who, she's just before her wedding, uh, she, her fiancé fails to do something that was, like, critical for the wedding planning, Right? And she comes unglued. Bridezilla hits the scene. Boom! She starts screaming at him about all the things he's done wrong. And, and he wisely uh, looks up at her and he simply says this, Is this the way you talk to yourself? Is this the things that you hear in your own heart all the time? It broke her instantly. She suddenly realized, yeah, the, the voices that I hear in my heart and my mind are constantly critical. And so she was, guess what? constantly critical of others. Now, So be careful. Don't get into this mode of constant criticism. That's not the point. The point is to let Jesus evaluate with you. And I'll talk a bit about that uh, more in just a moment, about being part of a community that actually helps to do that. You don't have to navel gaze. You don't have to get down on yourself and just wonder, always questioning your own motives, always. But you do have to be aware. Hey, if I'm judging others, there may be stuff in me that I need to be taken care of as well. Okay, uh, so that, that's the first thing. We, we have to be humble and acknowledge our own sinful. The second thing is, we actually, the, the charge is this. Christians are always trying to fix me, and their help is unasked for and unwanted. You, these guys definitely were trying to fix this person, right? And they, it was definitely unasked for. It was definitely unwanted. Most of the criticisms, most of the judgments that we have in our hearts and minds toward other, they're, asked, they're not asked for. And they are definitely not wanted. And we just often go charging in, trying to fix people. We view people as problems rather than people. Um, But notice what Jesus does here. These guys, they talk about her. 
Jesus actually eventually talks to her. These guys make accusations. Jesus asks questions. Do you see a difference there in how the situation is handled? In in microcosm, what's going on here is Jesus is showing hospitality. The way that we challenge this idea that people are always trying to get into my lives just so they can fix me, their help is always unwanted and asked for, is actually we have to continue to be and learn more and more what it means to be a hospitable people. That's what Jesus does. These guys were not hospitable. They're talking about her, not to her. They're not asking her questions. They're, tell, they're making accusations. And so for us, we have to learn what it means to be like Jesus in this way, to actually be a people who, yeah, we have people in our lives who are strangers to us, and we ask questions we don't condemn. We invite them into our lives, not intrude into theirs to try to fix their situation. People need friendship that's not easily put off by their flaws, their faults, and their foibles, right? I mean, I got plenty of flaws, I got plenty of faults, I got plenty of things that I do that are goofy, like cooking with too much sugar in my food. But I need, I need friends who can stick by me regardless. And that's what our uh, neighbors, friends, coworkers need as well. Jesus doesn't keep this per- person at arm length, this lady at arm's length. He actually stands with her, stands for her, and draws near to her. Notice her. She hasn't repented. She, said, she hasn't said, I'm sorry. She hasn't done anything. But Jesus stands there ready for her, forgiving her, coming to her. Now, he will eventually. He'll deal with her sin, right? He actually tells her, hey, don't continue in this sin. You need to stop. But, but please, please, please pay attention to what happens way before that ever happens. Jesus stands for her. Jesus stands with her. He doesn't talk about her. He talks to her. He is hospitable and welcoming to this person who is obviously broken and whose life is a mess. What about us? Are we willing to do that? Are we willing to stand in with people, to to stand up with them, regardless of the situation, to show compassion for them, to enter into their lives asking questions, not throwing accusations at people? To be hospitable, the, the Greek word for this, the Bible word for this, as it was written in its original language, is, uh, is two, it's a two-part word, a compound word, philo, uh, exenos, X-E-N-O-S. I never can say it right, so judge me. Okay. <laughs> the, the word basically, though, means this. It means, philo means friendship or friendship love, and xenos means stranger. So... What it, basically, the biblical word, and especially if you want to look at like Hebrews 13 where it says, hey, that we entertain strangers, we show hospitality to strangers. Basically, it's this word that's being used. It's saying, hey, look, you have people in your life that you befriend, that you love, that you care for, who actually they're strangers to you. Now, for most of us, we don't have to go very far for that. Just look across the street. I, I'll guarantee you, most of you don't know the names of the people who live across the street from you may not know the people who live next door to you, and more than likely you don't know the people who live in the houses behind you. They're complete strangers to you. And so there's an awesome opportunity for you to show hospitality, love strangers, take these people who are strangers in your life and make them to be friends. Okay, That is within our grasp easily, easily to do. To show hospitality, to have friends in our homes. Most of us, when we think about hospitality, we're thinking about having our friends over, right? People we already know, people we already associate with. The Bible says don't just have, it's good, do that, but don't just do that. 
Have those who are strangers to you in your home. Make friends with them. Love them. Show the same kind of grace and compassion toward them as to the ones that you already know. Don't keep them at, long, at arm's length, but draw them in into your life. So our community groups, we're getting ready to, to meet. We're, we're starting those up in a couple of weeks here. It's time to sign up for those. A good chunk of what community group is, the word community, we want this to be a hospitable group of people who meet together, who love on each other, but I ex- extend hospitality out toward others. One way you can start, if you're going to be part of a community group, volunteer to host the group. Would you have maybe strangers, maybe some new people in your home? Would you do that? Would you volunteer say, hey, I want to have them in my home? Why? Because you want to learn how to show hospitality to strangers, to show love to strangers. Be in a group. We're, the way we're trying to configure this year is to, to yes, along relationship lines, you've got a friend who's a leader, you want to be in his or her group, that's great. But, but actually, we're looking for geography as well. Because we want to affect neighborhoods. We want to affect the people around my house and around your house. How can we do that best? Well, we can do it if we're in closer proximity to one another. And so we're looking to show uh, hospitality to strangers in that way. So that's community groups. Here's some things uh, you can do. Uh, If you don't know what to do, let me give you like five things. I've done these before, but I'll just kind of put them out there because I think they're important. First of all, begin with prayer. Would you just be? Begin with prayer. It's the word bless. It's just an acrostic. Just use that. Begin with prayer. Would you begin to pray for two or three people in your life who are far from Jesus? This is a great way to show hospitality to strangers is to pray for them. So we've got new neighbors behind us. I just noticed uh, we, we were gone for a couple of days, came home. I look in the backyard and down the hill, there's like, there had never been toys in this backyard before. Now there are toys in the back. It's clear they have small children. They're like the little tiny tots tables and stuff, you know. I'm like, sweet, another opportunity to get to know a neighbor here. It's great. Down the street, a couple of houses. Across the street, uh, uh, new neighbors there, sweet young couple. They've got a couple of kids, just had a new baby. We got to give them a gift, you know, and just to say, man, we're so thrilled with this new life here. And we barely know them, but we're taking them from being complete strangers to us and working toward making these guys into friends. So we, we begin to pray with them. We listen to their story. What's going on in their life? I think one of the biggest reasons why we judge other people is we simply don't know them, and we're afraid of that which we do not know. So would you take the time to ask questions and listen rather than just tell your story right off the bat? Ask questions. Dylan Neely, one of the uh, uh, pastors up in, uh, in the city church location, he, says, uh, he, he told this story recently. He said, I was um, in a situation, I was riding in a 45-minute car ride with this guy, and I thought, man, I've got to make every minute count with this guy. And his temptation was just like, tell this guy the gospel. But what he did was say, so tell me, what, what do you believe in? What is it that you believe? And the guy spent like 20 minutes just telling him what he believed. It was not a Christian uh, thing. It was something else. He was believing something else. And so Dylan just listened for 20 minutes. Finally, the guy kind of got to the end of his story. So he goes, so tell me, what do you believe? Guess what? He didn't have to force his way in. He simply listened. And this guy opened the door and said, hey, well, yeah, you listen to me. Now I'll, I'll listen to you. Simple thing, right? Just listen to people. Everybody has a story, and it's usually a pretty good one, quite honestly. Uh, eat together. Have a meal together. This is the E part of it. So B, begin with prayer. L, listen. E, eat together. Would you take time to just invite people into your home or go out to eat, go to McDonald's, grab a burger. Ugh, sorry. Go somewhere else. Grab a burger. Um, whatever. I, 
Sorry, judging if you like McDonald's. All right? Eat together. Go to Panera. Go to, I don't care where you go. Go somewhere, okay? And enjoy a meal together. Go have a picnic together. Begin with prayer. Listen, but eat together. Eating is an amazing, amazing gift from God. Hallelujah. Yeah, I see all you guys. You like to eat, I can tell. And so here's the thing. I mean, eating is not just about making my belly full. It's an awesome, awesome opportunity for me to build a relationship. When I sit down at a table with somebody, I hear stories that I would never hear any other time. I hear about their lives, what's going on. When we sit down to eat together, we don't just talk about the weather. We begin to talk about deep issues of the heart when we're sitting around a meal. Serve them. What can you do? I, I told you about uh, my neighbors down the street. They just had the baby. So we serve them how? Well, we give them a gift. It's taking care of the baby a bit, looking for other opportunities as well. What can you do that shows love? Extending your hands and your feet to show love to someone else. And then, yeah, share your story. One of the best ways to love people, I think, is to share your story. Tell them after you've blessed them, you know, you've prayed for them, you've listened to them, you've shared meal with them, all those things. And there's an opportunity. Yeah, share your story. There's nothing more powerful than your story. I just think it's a, it's a powerful thing to be able to say, here's where I was, and here's how Jesus saved me out of that mess. This is where I am today. I just think it's an amazing, amazing tool. So do that. Share your, share your story with other people. Don't be afraid of it. Don't be ashamed of it. It's a great story. It's a great testimony of how God saved you and redeemed you, brought you back to himself. Now, so we show hospitality, but we have to continue on here. Being a disciple means that we encourage one another regularly. We realize that we're loved and accepted by Jesus, and we can love and accept others who are different from us. I mean, that's part of what community groups do. I'm totally excited about doing that, helping people become from strangers to friends. But community group means more than just that. It means that we actually we, we begin to, to talk into other, speak into other people's lives. We, we deal with our own issues together. Now, that may be a little strange to you. You think, no, I want to a community group where we have nachos every week and we talk about sports. I don't want you to delve into my life. I don't want you to be telling me what's going on with me. But see, when we, when we get that kind of an attitude, we become very judgmental. We, if we are not open, allowing people that we trust and care for to come into our lives to share what's going on inside of us, then we become very critical and judgmental of others. We fail to realize, hey, there's stuff going on in us. Personal story, okay? Uh, last winter, I'm on the phone. I called Rick up. Uh, Rick, Rick Hine is one of our elders here. I called him up, and I was kind of ticked off about a situation. And I just said, look, these people, they, they're just not listening to me. And um, it was their fault, too, by the way. And it had nothing to do with the fact that when I was talking to them, I made them feel judged. Okay, it had nothing to do with that. No, I mean, I'm telling, and I'm expecting him to kind of agree with me. Yeah, you're right, Steve. These are just boneheads, and you just need to kind of, you know, tell them what's what. That's what I was hoping for. But instead, what he said, well, hey, when you talk to people, are you actually listening to them? Are you actually finding out, do they agree with your assessment before you walk away? And I was like, dang it. Click, you know, I mean, just, we, we don't do that anymore, sorry. Click, however you do that. I wanted to hang up on him because he's, he's beginning to edge into me. He's not, yeah, there were maybe some issues that need to be dealt with with others, but actually the problem, a good part of the problem was me, and he was able to help me to see that. And I was able to walk out of a sin, sinful attitude, really, toward others. See, 
Do you have relationships like that? People around you who are willing and free that you've kind of deputized them to say, hey, I need you to speak into my life. I actually don't want to live a hypocritical life. I don't want to live a judgmental life. I need help to see when I've got the blinders on. And, I, and I've got friends who will do that for me. Do you? See, community groups, is, it's about that as well. It's about being a part of a community who, as we talk about stuff, when we start to realize, hey, I've got an issue, and I've got to have, I need you guys to help me through it as well. Or someone may ask a question, and you just feel like, oh, hey, don't condemn me. Don't judge me. They're not judging you. They're actually loving you. The, the thing is here, I mean, it's like Jesus, what he begins to do with this guy, once he's established that, hey, you are loved and accepted, I'm for you, he says something very critical to her. He says, go and sin no more. It's critical that we understand why he says that. It's because he identifies the behavior she was engaged in was indeed sinful. It was going to hurt her, it was going to hurt the people that she loved, and it was something that she definitely needed to stop doing, right? But he didn't do that until he had established a friendship, a connection a faithfulness, a loyalty to her. And she was able to get up from there and, we presume, walk away and not engage in that behavior anymore. We have to have people in our lives who are willing, because of love, because they've listened, because they care for us, that they can speak sharply and cut through to the things that actually are in our hearts that need to be dealt with, yeah? I need people like that. You need people like that. Part of the criticism that people have, the reason why they have is because Christian lives often look very much just like the world's do, and it doesn't seem like we care because we're not addressing or it doesn't appear that we're addressing those issues. In our lives, we have to be willing to have issues addressed together. Not trying to judge people, actually trying to listen to the judgment of Jesus and then submit ourselves to his judgment. That's the issue. If you're a follower of Jesus, it's not your job to judge everyone else in the world outside these doors. But it is our job, actually, to judge one another in this way. To care for one another enough to speak truth into one another's lives. 1 Corinthians 5.12 actually addresses with that. Paul says to the Corinthian church, who had a guy who was like sleeping with his dad's wife, okay, and, and they're kind of like, whoa, we're not doing anything about this because we're not supposed to be judging. And he, he says this, he says, for what do I have with judging outsiders? Is it not those inside the church whom you are to judge? Now, again, it's, it's a different word. It's not con- condemnation. It's not condemnation. It's, it's care. It's speaking the truth in love. That's what Paul is addressing here. And that's what we need to address with one another. Are we willing, actually, to lay our lives before others and say, yeah, I need, I need some judgments here. I need to hear the judgment of Jesus in this area of my life. And I need to submit myself to it. It's a scary thing, I realize that, but it's a necessary thing. Here's what we know, though. Jesus definitely, when He comes, when our friends come to us, they're doing it out of love, out of compassion, not out of judgment, not to throw us out, not to throw stones at us, but actually to help us, to build us up, to help us get up, and go and sin no more. That's the purpose of that. Now, I want to go back to something about Jesus. I said that he stood with this gal. In this moment when he says, go and sin no more, he actually was standing in her presence. He actually had taken her from being on the ground to lifting up. She's actually standing now. 
And there's a couple of things I want you to know. When Jesus, when the start of the story, Jesus was sitting and he was teaching. The, the role of a judge is, is often described in, the, in biblical terms as sitting. Okay? They're sitting and they're instructing, or they're sitting and they're making judgments. That's the way Jesus starts the story. He ends the story, though, standing up with this woman. Now, the difference is this. The people who, in the, in the Old Testament stories, who stood were not judging. They were delivering. They were setting people free who had been under judgment. So when you read about Moses, it says, Moses stood before Pharaoh, and he declared, let my people go. Elijah stood before King Ahab and his evil wife Jezebel, and he stood before them, and he says, before the God before whom I stand... And he judges them in that way, but he delivers the people of Israel by standing for them. That's what Jesus does for us. If you've got your Bibles there in John uh, chapter 8, I want you to just see the transition that happens throughout this story. And if you're on that page 894, look at verse 59 down at the bottom of the page. Here you have a woman, she's been condemned, she's sinful, she's been condemned, and they want to throw rocks at her, right? That's what they're wanting to do. They're wanting to destroy her life, take it away, because she is a sinful person. Here's Jesus, the sinless Son of God, the one who withstood the pressures of temptation and never buckled under their weight. Some people look at Jesus and they go, well, Jesus never sinned. He must not have really experienced temptation. No, the way when you experience temptation... The full weight of temptation is to stand against it and not have your knees buckle under the pressure of it. That's what Jesus did. He didn't buckle under the pressure to start throwing rocks at this woman. He didn't uh, buckle under the pressure to worship uh, Satan when he said, hey, bow down to me and I'll give you the nations of the world. He didn't buckle to the pressure at the cross. When the, the, the weight of the cross is upon him, he is able to stand. He is able to stand for us and not buckle under the pressure of temptation. He withstood all temptation and never once sinned. You and I, I face temptations, my knees buckle under the weight of it so quick it's not even funny. Jesus doesn't. He stands. Now look what happens in verse 59. It says, So they picked up stones to throw at who? At Jesus. See the transition that happens, the transaction? Here's a woman condemned to die under the wrath of guys, and and she's sinful. Here's Jesus, the sinless Son of God, never buckles under the pressure, and he now is having stones. They're ready to chuck stones at him. He took her place. He took your place. He took my place. The condemnation that this woman deserved, Jesus actually got. They picked up stones to throw at him. The condemnation that I deserve, my sin, what it deserved, Jesus took the condemnation on the cross. I'm so grateful that Rick and Sarah talked about Romans 8 today. Because the the reality of it is there is now no more condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. The law of the Spirit of life in Christ has set us free from the law of sin and death. It goes on to say in that passage that he does not condemn us, but he did condemn sin. To to say, hey, we love the sinner, but we hate the sin, is an accurate statement for Christians. Because here's what Jesus did. He loved us enough to die, but he hated sin enough to die. 
We have to put ourselves in harm's way for others, just like he put himself in harm's way for us. This is how we show love and compassion toward others. Receive this today, this proclamation, this knowledge that, hey, my sin was covered because the one who should have been condemned was not, so that the one who should not have been condemned, he was. He took my weight of sin upon him. Would you do that? Would you receive that? I know in doing so, what it does is it frees us, frees us from the pressure of trying to uh, make ourselves feel better by criticizing other people. By condemning their lifestyle, we feel better about our lifestyle. From creating a set of religious rules. Hey, I pray with my kid every night. I do these things. I go through these Bible stories. My life's pretty good. Meanwhile, you're, you're critical and you, and you hate yourself and you hate other people. I mean, that's not helpful, guys. But Jesus stood condemned for us. The sinless Son of God did not buckle under the pressure, but received our condemnation so we could walk free.